Well, uh, we are in a series at the moment, which is uh, called Day and Night Until. We're learning how to pray the scriptures, not just blurt desperate prayers, which there is a place for, believe me. But uh, uh, we are learning how to pray in a way that, that honors God and, and, and uses scripture to pray back him. And we've had some outstanding talks. Uh, Anine last week on Acts 4, and the week before we had Mark uh, on um, Romans 15, 8, and uh, uh, he's actually preaching again next weekend. But I have so appreciated this, and this is so where I am at at the moment personally in my walk with Jesus. Just I'm, I'm asking God to, as I call it, crack open his word, you know, crack it open so it's beyond the superficial, so that we can delve down deep into God's word and understand what it is he is he's, he's wanting to sow into our lives, invest in us. And as such, as we begin to relish that and wonder at that and explore that, we find ourselves almost spontaneously turning back in praise and thanksgiving and and prayer. And so that's what we're trying to explore. And and what we, we decided we would do was we would look at New Testament prayers, the way the saints prayed. And so today it's my privilege to bring you one of Paul's apostolic prayers in the book of Ephesians. Uh, Let me pray, and then we will get straight into it. Father, I just want to say thank you to you for for the invitation there is to learn more of you. And learning of you and studying your word is a creative thing. It is something that that actually uh, gives life and produces life. And so I pray now, Lord God, that as we read through your word and as we consider the, the, the encouragements and the implications of your word today, pray, Lord God, that you will come and that you will visit us and that you will build your kingdom here in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've t- entitled this talk, Grander Vision Living, Grander Vision Living. And as I was reading through yesterday morning in my, my quiet time, Uh, I was just reading again. Sometimes I I read the word that I'm going to be preaching on. Sometimes I go elsewhere. But the two things came together yesterday morning because I was studying God's word and looking at this passage. And I'm reading through the prayer I'm about to read to you, which is actually the back end of of, of Ephesians 1. But by way of introduction, I started reading the first few verses, and before I knew it, I was getting really pumped and excited by the, the opening verses of this passage. And I was so pumped and excited, I had this crazy thought. I thought to myself, you know, this is just an awesome opening to, a, to any book of Scripture. This first chapter is absolutely astounding, and it rolls on into chapter 2. And I found myself saying, it made me laugh out loud, rather like an in salami, but, but I thought, it's a bit like the, you know, Tchaikovsky's, Tchaikovsky's, is that right? Tchaikovsky? 1812. Thank you, Tchaikovsky's 1812. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we played that and I read it over the top of it? <laughs> well, you're going to be saved that because it isn't great. It's a complete mess. <laughs> but I tried it. I tried it about half an hour. After Fliss was, you know, it was quite early in the morning, and Fliss finally shut down, what are you doing down there, you know? But I had the old 1812 going away, and I was trying to get the phrasing right, because it's, you know, if you know Tchaikovsky's 1812, it's, um, it's just, the, you know, it, it, there's, there's, 
There's just everything, including the kitchen sink thrown in it. You know, there's cannons going off. There's church bells. You know, the, you know, the conductor's giving it some real welly, and everybody's sort of piling in. It's just actually most, you either love it or you hate it. And uh, I've always had a bit of an affection for it ever since I was a kid when I heard it, and I thought it was the most wonderful thing I've ever heard. But it is this explosion where everything that has any kind of a voice celebrates, as it was, a victory in 1812. But, it, but it, that's the kind of sense here. Paul opens this passage with an, uh, this, this book with an 1812 kind of overture. And I won't say it tapers off, but there is a sense in one way that it does. So rather than sort of putting a carefully thought through case together, which leads to this, that thought, and this, the other thought, and then it suddenly gets to that point where you go, wow, he gives you the whole sort of caboodle right at the beginning. And, and there are a number of things going on, but the main thing I'd love you to take away about the book of Ephesians is that, that what Paul is celebrating here and, and really trying to impress the church, not just the Ephesian church, it's generally thought that this was, as it were, an open letter, something to be circulated. What he's trying to impress and what he's trying to give us is a vision of God's eternal purposes, grander vision living. He's trying to open our eyes. Now, this is remarkable. This is a man who it's generally thought at this time was in prison in Rome. So he's in a very confined space. But where's his head? Where is he at? He's not staring at his navel, sort of sobbing in self-pity. He's in a different place entirely. He's relishing, savoring, celebrating God's grand vision. And he sums that up. We can look at a number of verses, which I'm not going to do. But he sums it up in, in this first chapter, in verse 10 where he says that God's purpose is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God's purpose, and he says it was a mystery, nobody knew about this, but now you know, you've been included. This mystery has been revealed to you, he says. And his purpose is to take this broken, fragmented, dysfunctional world, and we know all about that, don't we? And bring healing and redemption and salvation and creation and recreation all together so that all things come into their rightful place, all things fit together properly like a beautifully constructive Bugatti V12 engine where everything just clicks together. Now, only engineers will love that. But you know, oh, man, that's beautiful. If they made jewellery, I'd wear one around my neck. <laughs> There's something exquisite about the way the thing, it's like a clock, it just fits together. But Paul is relishing a similar sort of thought. He sees, instead of the world being dysfunctional and broken and disconnected and at odds with so much, and that's what we experience and see, he sees this grander vision of God's to actually bring it all back round again and in Christ be made whole under his headship and lordship. It's an extraordinary vision and one that I really got excited about. And I hope that, that you'll go away and that you will feast on that. And, the, and, and if you needed another reason to feast on it, is the wondrous truth that we're part of that. 
It's not just we stand to one side in awe and wonder because God has done this extraordinary thing. And in some way, we are spectators. But in this opening few verses, he, he also says you know, that he has chosen us to be included. He has predestined us to be included us. He has made known to us. He's also he's chosen us again. And we've, we've also been included. Paul wants to emphasize that you and I have an intimate part in this. He's part of the plan. You're not outside of the plan. You've not been left out of it. You are part of God's reunification. And so it's a wonderful thing. Now, I've said all of that, and I've labored on that because it then makes sense when he turns to prayer. And that's what we're going to look at now, Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23. And uh, we'll read it out. It's going to go up on the screen. And we're just going to spend time in this prayer. And uh, verse 15 begins with the sentence, for this reason. Now, now when Mark was teaching a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember what it was, the actual phrase, but... But it was, he, he talked about, you know, when, when, when a passage begins with that, you know, it refers to that which has gone before. The, the, that which has gone before is important, prerequisite, I think he used the word. For this reason, for all that I have just said, and hopefully whetted your appetite for, Paul prays the prayer that he's about to pray. Have you been wearing my glasses? It's a very big nose on that. You know. <laughs> Sorry, Darren. Okay, let's get, get, get into the word, shall we, you know? Right, let's read it. I tell you what, let's do something different. Just cut totally off my head. Why don't we all stand and we'll all read this together. It's up on the screen. Let's just honor God's word by reading it together in unison. And it'll come up as we go through. And then we can sit back down and I'll teach into it. Okay. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God of our Father, Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in this people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So one of the principles that we have emphasized as we've been teaching about how you pray the scripture, and we see it again and again as we look at New Testament prayers, but actually you'll see it in Old Testament prayers, is that prayer always begins by honoring God. Now this prayer that I'm going to zone in and teach on does not appear to have that introduction, but of course 
you know, if you've got your wits about you, you will realize that actually what's just gone before, what I've just laid out, is the celebration. It's an act of praise and worship. So it is not, this is not different. It's actually the same. In fact, if anything, there's more of that honoring and glorifying of God introduction. And then we get into the prayer itself. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Press the pause button. Uh, You know, uh, I I find that uh, in life and ministry... There is ever more reason to ask God for wisdom and revelation. You know, I find myself increasingly perplexed. You'd have thought that having done something for a while now, and I've been pastoring for a fair few years, you would think I would get better at it. Maybe I am getting better at it, but I still find myself in situations where I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'll be honest about that. I just feel overwhelmed. I think, oh gosh, how do I deal with this? Uh, and one of the things that uh, I, I found myself increasingly saying to, to leaders and pastors as I have an opportunity to, to kind of uh, invest in them a little bit is to say, you know, actually being overwhelmed uh, you, is, is actually the anointing. If you feel overwhelmed, and, and you've done your prayer and your prep, you know, but if you still feel overwhelmed, that is just an invitation to lean back into God. We can be a little bit too clever sometimes. We can rely on well-tried formulas, and I've seen pastors, and I've probably done it myself. But there is nothing wrong with feeling overwhelmed when you know that God's Spirit dwells within you and God is present with us. It is actually an invitation to cling all the more tightly to Him. We need that spirit of wisdom and revelation. It said of the men and women of Issachar that they understood the times and knew what Israel should do. We need people like that in the church. And there's nothing wrong in praying for that. In fact, I would encourage you to pray for wisdom and revelation. Not kind of the thing that is generally at the top of the list when one thinks of praying in society and work and all the rest of it. But keep praying for wisdom and revelation. But Paul has something very particular in mind here in his opening kind of prayer It's not just any old spirit of wisdom and revelation. He prays for a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. It's not just about any old thing. His prayer is that you and I might know Christ better. And then he he offers three kind of specifics, three areas of concern that he, he brings in under that umbrella. And we're going to look at that. The first one then is, he says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart, not just your heads, you know, they might actually go deeper than that. It's not just about understanding. Oh, I read the book, yeah, I've done the notes. Uh, you know, I, I, did, I ticked all the boxes, done that bit. No, he's talking about something deeper and more profound. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Now, I'm not going to spend any time on that other than to say that Mark did a good job with that Romans 15, 8. Uh, I did actually tag it in my Bible just to remind you of the actual verse. Um, I'll read that to you. And uh, and if you 
it's certainly worth, if you missed it, going back and having a listen to that on the podcast. Sorry, it's Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I thought Mark did a great job of unpacking that. And uh, so I encourage you to look at that. That will save me, win me indeed, a little time this morning so I can spend a little bit more time on the other two elements. But the first thing is that Paul says... He prays that you may have a hope, a hope that sustains you, a hope that bubbles up in spite of all things, and a hope that is inspired and informed by this grander vision living, not just wishful thinking, a hope that is infused with that which has gone before, the opening verses of Ephesians chapter 1. He goes on then to say... First of all, then, the hope that to which he has called you, and the second, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, some of you know that I'm pretty big on inheritance, and God over the years has, on a, on a number of occasions, spoken to me about inheritance. And uh, I, I've told a story, I tell it probably twice a year because people seem to love it. But there was an occasion in my sort of real-life story where one morning, uh, after some rather difficult conversations with my stepfather uh, following my mother's death, it turned out that that both my sister and myself were were going to receive no inheritance whatsoever, whatever. And that very morning, it was a Monday, and that used to be our day off, uh, I, I finally accepted the fact that that was it, basically, uh, no inheritance for me. And uh, Fliss said to me, come on, Chris, we've got to go. And what she was referring to was that we were going to visit an old schoolmaster of mine down in Newbury, been friends for many years, a bit of a character, and so I shrugged off my disappointment and what if, I was going to think about that another time. Okay, get in the car, we're going off to see this old guy. We went down there, we had a very nice lunch in a pub, and then we got back to his place for some coffee and stuff like that. And he said to me, very unusually, he said, can I have a quiet word with you? And uh, he took me into the dining room, and he said, Chris, as you know, I'm a bachelor. I, I, I have you know, never really felt a call to be married or anything, but I held you in, in, in great affection. And I wondered whether you would honor me by being my heir. I mean, it's not every day you get asked that question, is it, you know? And that was the day I lost an inheritance. And he said, and if you'll honor me with that as a sign of which I will give you, I'd like to give you this ring. And he gave me a diamond ring. It's not the kind of thing I would wear, to be honest. But it was a lovely men's diamond ring, a kind of an antique one, quite a large diamond in it. And I was just blown away by that. And that was a very, very poignant moment. But as I drove back, and we drove for some way in silence, he didn't know anything. I didn't even tell him what had been going on in my family, the kind of acrimony and the sort of letters from solicitors and God knows what else. But to be driving back just amazed at the generosity of God and his tender loving care to me, Chris, on that day, But it also spoke to me that inheritance is very important to God. You know, that whole Exodus series, you know, one of the reasons why he was so offended by 
those tribes that did not want to cross the Jordan was that actually, although the land was good where they were at, although they were comfortable, that was not his inheritance. And what they were really saying was, we don't want your inheritance, thank you very much. We like it as it is. And so I've always lived my life trying to be respectful of and honoring God in that desire that he has as a father to bestow upon his heirs an inheritance. Partly, to be honest with you, sort of part of the spiritual dynamics for me of the growing campaign, a growing family campaign, is that I believe that God has an inheritance for us, and He's calling us to take hold of it. So, so anyway, Paul's prayer—he's cottoned onto that. He understands that. He wants us to understand the inheritance. And that's, again, why he spent time in those opening verses just kind of laying out this grander vision living thing so that we might get our heads around that. You know, what is this inheritance? This inheritance is is really quite extraordinary. We're going to see a little bit more of it in, in the third element of this prayer. The first one is he prays that we might hope, hope everlasting, that we might have uh, the, uh, the eyes, a, a deep and profound revelation of the, the glorious inheritance that he has for us. Uh, and, you know, this inheritance is, is, is as it says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it, it says here, um, it is, and I will read it, you know, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. It is far beyond our wildest imaginings. We get hints, we get a foretaste of it now, of his kindness and his goodness to us now. And he leads us on from glory to glory. But that which is yet to come is quite extraordinary. I've got a little story I want to tell you before I teach the last point of the prayer. And that's out of an experience, Bliss and myself, which brought both of these things together in quite a nice way. Hope and, and inheritance, and an inheritance that is more than we expect. Uh, in 1999, Fris and I went on a sabbatical, and uh, we had various things planned, and we, as we usually would do, we, we, we planned to go to the States and visit various places, and we wanted to visit a church called Lancaster Vineyard in, in the, the sort of high desert, about 40 miles outside of Los Angeles, and uh, we've got to know David and Nancy Parker. In fact, they did a lovely little video sort of celebrating 25 years, you may remember it. We wanted to visit that church because we had not been to that church for many years and we'd heard all sorts of good things. So we rang up the office. I didn't have David's number in those days. And I, I rang up the office and I said, look, we're a couple of English pastors on sabbatical. We're first stops the States and we'd love to come out to Lancaster Vineyard. And, and we wondered whether you could recommend any hotels or, or is there you know, some local hospitality we can avail ourselves of us. And they said, oh, you don't want to go into a hotel. Um, you want to go up to the, uh, we'll send you up to our mission station, uh, and they have, a, they have the bunkhouse up there. And um, you know, to be honest with you, I felt a little awkward with that, because we were pretty tired, and beginning our, we were going to be jet-lagged, and I think the last thing I wanted to do on my first night in America was spend it in a bunkhouse. You know, I, I don't know whether you've got this. But, but by, all, by, by then, I was already committed, you know. And... Um, I said, oh, 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 yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. That's marvelous. You know, uh, could you email me or fax me? I think it was faxing in those days, some directions, and that would be so kind. We would love that. You know, <laughs> wow. You know, I'm, I'm underwhelmed, overwhelmed. You know. <laughs> 
So anyway, we go there. It's a bit of a schlep, as you know, out to L.A. It's 10 hours on the plane. We were pretty tired, and we were tired because of work and stuff. We get into the car, and it's quite a drive out there, and it is out in the desert, in the high desert there, and it's pretty barren. It's, it's not sand dunes like the Sahara. It's kind of like scrub. And you get out there, and we, 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 we went into Lancaster thinking it was in Lancaster, but then we discovered it was about another 15 miles outside of Lancaster. So we really, you know, we're there. I'm barely awake. Finally, we get to this ranch, and it's a bunch of shacks. And we're hoping, we're hoping, hope, 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 we're hoping that they're expecting us. And we drive up this sort of long, dusty thing, didn't we, darling? We were up on this hillside, and there's nobody about, just a load of, Honestly, they're like shacks. And we kind of get out, and I'm thinking, oh, there's no reception. That I don't know. What are we supposed to And then suddenly, uh, you know, somebody uh, pokes their head out of a door with a little toddler in their arms and says, Hi there, can I help you? And I said, We're Chris and Fliss from England. We've come to stay. And she says, Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Okay, you're in the bunkhouse. That's that. You see that up uh, sorry, I've got the kids. Um, if you go up that trail, it's, a, it's about the second cabin on the left. And then we, we, we dig. I said, fine, great. So we get our kind of Samsonite with the wheelies on the back. So dragging them up this trail. We need a pack horse, you know, not Samsonites with wheels on the back. It's okay, Fliss. Yeah, we're nearly there. And the sweat's pouring off us. We find this place. It says the bunkhouse. And it is a cabin. I mean, it really is a cabin. It's old wood and stuff. We stagger onto this dusty veranda. We open the door, and we're stepping into a Cotswolds country cottage. (laughs) You kind of look out, and it's cowboy land, rattlesnakes and tin cans and all the rest. And in here, we're in the Cotswolds. It's chintzy curtains and plumped up cushions and there's a beautiful bathroom with Victoria. We can actually have a bath there. I thought we were going to have to sort of use baby wipes for four days, you know. <laughs> it was really appealing, you know. Really was getting into, off to a good start, you know. And, and there's a lovely bathroom there with a, and it's beautifully done up. So our hope has been justified. They were expecting us and Actually, this is beautiful. And this is great big bed. With the sort of piles of, what do they call those nonsense cushions? <laughs> what are they called? Throw cushions. Throw cushions, yeah, something like that. They're just excessive amounts, an explosion of cushions, you know, <laughs> all over the bed. And then at the end of the bed, there's lovely fluffy towels. On the top, there's a little gift box, and, and, and inside, there's a Belgian chocolate. And then there was a scroll, beautifully tied, and we undid the scroll, and in beautiful writing on this parchment-like paper, it said, Dearest Chris and Fliss, we were expecting you. Welcome home. We sat on the bed. I'm tearing up now. We sat on the bed, and we wept. We hoped, hoped against hope that somebody remembered us. But when we actually got there, it was way beyond our wildest imaginings. It was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. It touched us deeply. 
that they had put so much thought and preparation into this. And we so began a very special and significant time for us. But I, I tell you that story because it, it holds those two things in tension. You know, we began with hope, against hope, when circumstances and situation and life and all, uh, was quite challenging. And we had to hold on to that hope that actually, you know, this was going to work out. And often the Christian life is like that. And Paul says, he prays, he says, I'm praying for you and pray with me and pray for each other. But we will hold fast to that hope. Because quite frankly, we could have given up as we approached the ranch. I could have said, I'll blow this for a what's it. We'll go and check into a holiday inn in Lancaster. I'm just not going up a trail, you know. And we would have missed God's best. Dearest Chris and Fliss, we were expecting you. Welcome home. You know? And that is so much more than we could have expected. We were expecting the bunkhouse And it was so much more. And what Paul is saying is, lift your eyes. You know, ask God to open the eyes of your heart so that you might get this, receive this spirit of wisdom and revelation, a vision of grander vision living. Because there is so much more than this prison cell that I am in. And frankly, it's worth it. It's worth working and waiting for. So he, those are the first two things. I've labored those. I felt the breath of God on those. I felt those are the most important things. But the, the third point is, is just as important. Paul goes on to say, in verse 18, he says, and he prays that we might know his incomparably great power for us who believe. He says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, and so on and so forth. And so it goes on. We've already read it. He says, says, his prayer is that you will not just know your place in God's plan, that you are chosen, that you are included, but that you will know his power for today at work in you and through you. I've used this example for many, 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 many years. There are those days when I'm feeling overwhelmed and I get home that night and I don't think I've done the best job I could have done for whatever reason. And you're kind of brushing your teeth and you're getting ready to go to bed and you're reflecting on the day. And you're tired and probably tomorrow is going to be another challenging day. And you kind of stand there and you're just about to finish off and you catch, your, you catch sight of yourself in the mirror. And it causes you to pause because you look old or you look tired or you look whatever. I usually think I look handsome, actually. But <laughs> it's true, actually. It's true. As an aside, a little self-disclosure here. I always, think I, look, I always think I look incredibly handsome at the end of the day. And I think, shucks, why didn't I look like that at the beginning of the day? I don't know what that's about. I have no idea what that's about or what that's to do with. But you look in the mirror and you think, and suddenly it all comes back to you. You look at yourself, you look tired, you look weary, you look whatever. And those faces, the faces of the day flash into your mind. And I have on occasion, and I guess we've all done it, you look at yourself and you think, call yourself a Christian. Honestly, Chris, what were you thinking of? You need to go and apologize to Fliss. 
you probably need to write an email to that guy or that woman or whatever it was. Call yourself a Christian. And there are moments, I won't say I despair of myself, that's far too strong a word, but there are moments where I just feel like I could have done better. Anybody have a day like that? Oh. <laughs> I thought I was the only one. But it's in moments like that that God would remind us that he, you know, we are his workmanship. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. We're not doing this on our own. It's not like he's given us the, the handbook and said, okay, before we can really do anything, I need you to read this cover to cover. Uh, there will be a test a week on Thursday and get this down. And I hope you realize how important this is going to be. Don't disappoint me. It's not like that. But Christians somehow think it is like that. The truth of the matter, what Paul is saying, is that actually God's spirit is at work within us, not some, something different. God's spirit, and he is at pains to emphasize this by saying, it is the self-same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And if he can do that for Jesus, think what he can do for you. So when I catch my eye now, and I've learned this, you know, you do kind of learn something as you go along. When I catch that look in my eye, and I'm thinking, oh my giddy up, I think, whoa, I'm not going to go down that black hole of despondency and despair, because I thank God I'm in Christ, and he hasn't finished with me yet, and his spirit is at work in me. And Paul says, it is crucial that you grasp that God's spirit dwells within you and is at work within you. He has done this before. He knows what he has, is doing. You are not beyond his, his kith and, and, and understanding. You are not beyond the pale. He has seen it all before. And what's more, it is his plan to have his way in you and through you. I mean, we could spend time talking about power ministry and the power that is available. So when you go there for prayer and the ministry team, you know, these guys are understanding that it's not about them. You know, sometimes people want to get me to pray for them rather than the ministry team. It's not about who prays for you. It's about a living God whose power is available for us. The power that is being exercised and ministered there is the self-same power that raised Christ from the dead. So if you have an issue, get yourself down there double quick. That's the only power you will experience in this place, the self-same power that raised Christ from the dead. So as you can see, this prayer that we can pray for one another is dripping with import, grander vision living. It's about, it's about you kind of lifting up your head and living life with an eternal perspective, not just... How am I going to get through this week? We all have days like that. Jesus had days like that. But the reality is there's a big picture. And the big picture is living our lives in the eyes of eternity, in the light of eternity. You know, church, community, this thing that God is, the, you know, Christ is the head of, of which he speaks of here. This is more than coming to church on Sunday and hoping that we get a parking space. We're caught up in the kingdom of God. This, as I said earlier on, this whole, you know, um, uh, what's it? Uh, what's it? <laughs> Growing family campaign. This, this thingamajiggy, what's it? 
Growing Family Campaign, you know, uh, this week has been a very exciting week. You know, I was saying to our leaders just recently how, you know, it's very easy to launch vision. Everybody goes, says glory, hallelujah, and how wonderful and how exciting and can't wait and all the rest of it. And everybody goes, when you finish, glory, hallelujah, and how great and how wonderful. But it's the middle bit that's the tough bit. And I've been telling you guys, we've been going through the tough bit. Well, this week, we've had some interesting things happen. We're now being offered that building next door. They are dead keen to sell us that building. They're dead keen to sell us the, co- the building in the corner. And this building, which we've, you know, to be honest with you, all these buildings will be great. We'll be fine. You know, we'll get one of them. I'm absolutely convinced of it now. And it'll be marvelous. And it will, what, what it will do will be, it will not just give us more square footage. Please get your head around it. It's actually about extending the kingdom of God. And just to finish that little sort of thing, that we've, I was actually talking to the agent of the place opposite, which we kind of got a bit of a hankering for. And he told me this week, he said, I think we might have a problem with the purchaser. Are you still in? <laughs> Thank you for praying, guys. Thank you, Father. We said it would come back to us, didn't we? Keep praying and keep giving. I really do think we need to raise another couple hundred thousand by the end of this month. We've raised 200,000 every month the last three months. We need another couple of hundred thousand this, this month. But this is not about money. It's not about warehouses. It's not about do we cross the road. It's about God's kingdom. Get it? Grander vision living. So, to add to your little prayer diary or whatever it is that you're... However, you are assimilating this information that I and the team are teaching you. Take this wonderful prayer out of Ephesians. In fact, why don't we stand? I'm going to pray it over you. Would the worship team come up here? I'm going to pray this over us and use it as a practical demonstration, really, how you can use this prayer to pray for yourself, your family, and the church. Let's just close our eyes then. Father, we honor you, we thank you for this wonderful, this wonderful vision that you've cast for us this morning. And Father, I ask that you will give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better. Father, I ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we may know the hope and the inheritance that you have in store for us. And Father, I ask that you would reveal to us the incomparably great power that is at work within us and through us. Come, Holy Spirit.